Welcome to the Fringe Element here on 440 Sports. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Joined by my co-host Aaron Dugan at the Aaron Dugan on Twitter. Aaron, how are you? Good. How are you, Braden? I'm doing very well. We've got an entire week of action to look back on. An entire week of action to look forward to. We do. Billy Lucci from Texags.com is going to join us. We'll get a PhD in Texas A&M football as they struggled against Vanderbilt on Saturday night and are going to head to uh, Tuscaloosa on Saturday evening to take on Alabama, who looked absolutely incredible on Saturday night. Please rate, review, and subscribe uh, as well. Do all that good stuff, right? Give us the ratings. Give us the subscriptions. Give us the reviews. Give it us all that helpful. stuff. Yes, it would. All right, we have a special, what do we call him, Aaron? A co-co-host? A... Yeah, a co-co-host. A, a co-co-host? Yeah. <laughs> Mitch Light... Our former co-worker at Athlon Sports. Your former boss. My former boss. Now the, a member of The Athletic's wonderful college football team. You can catch him on Football and Grits, of course, the college football SEC podcast that basically competes with us uh, on The Athletic's platform. There's plenty of space for everybody in this digital world. Mitch Light, how are you, sir? I'm well, Braden. Thanks for having me. I have a question for Aaron. Mitch? Are there other Aaron Dugans? Like, you're the Aaron Dugan? Like, did you have to battle for that Twitter handle? I'm going to be honest. I knew Twitter was going to be a thing from the jump, but I wasn't ready. Oh, wow. Cutting edge here. However, I didn't use it. I just grabbed it when it first came out so that I had it because some celebs were doing it. And then I left it unused for about four or five years. Okay. I was Athlon Mitch forever. And then when I left, I was like, I just want to be my name. And it was there. It was there? 2019. 2019. Mitch at Mitch Light was there on Twitter. You deserve it. Thank you. Worked in, hard. In other interesting news, Mitch used to throw Mitch a Palooza while we all worked yes. at Athlon together. In the early days. Very creative. I wasn't there for that. No. Well, you just weren't invited. It was great. No, it was, it was, yeah. it was, it was no pretty Dugan. There's no invited Braden no, and not me. It was Sorry. pretty Dugan. Here's the reality, because you guys have already corrected me that Mitch was never, in fact, Aaron's boss. He was my boss. But if he had been your boss, then you would have been invited to Mitch a Palooza. But since you never worked for him, you didn't get invited. I turned out fine. I yeah. think you're okay. I'm just, you know, I'm pointing that out. No, yeah, there's fine. a certain Athlon employee who once showed up unannounced, uninvited, <laughs> with a 12-pack of beer for a impromptu Mitchapalooza. Cool kids club just the, or no? Just the two of you? Uh, yes. All right. Uh, so we got a ton of stuff to get to. Mitch, obviously, uh, great to have you here. You can follow him on Twitter at, at uh, I almost did it, at Mitch Light is his Twitter account, of course. Uh, check out the podcast, Football and Grits. Excuse me, as well. I'm choked up seeing you again. Mitch. Yeah, it's that's emotional. What, that's what that's it is. Uh, let's Let's start... We're going to go game by game here. We're going to cover a lot of stuff. And, and then, again, we'll, we'll get to looking at some of the games and coming up. And I, Do we call it week two? It's week five. It's our week two. What do you think, Mitch? Verdict? It's an SEC podcast. I think it's week, it, it's week five of the college football. If it's an SEC podcast, you call it week two. Okay, week two. Yeah. It's week two. We'll preview week These two. These people don't care about anyone else. <laughs> That's 100% correct. There's no, no, no question it's about that. It's week two. All right. How do we watch week one? How awesome was that? Pure, pure and utter chaos across college football, including the SEC. Um, I basically locked myself in the office. I, I actually did request that my wife take my two small daughters down to her mother's house, and she did. Thank God. Uh, it was spectacular. It was, it was awesome. I just, I'm, ha- I'm a happier person because college, the SEC football is back. It just makes me happier. We're happy for us as well. We're not I happy won for the you. Weekend, We're happy though. for us. That's fine. This is a team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it was great. It was the first few weeks of college football, even the, was it like week negative two when it was just the Austin P versus Central Arkansas. That was fun <laughs> for a while, but then this was, you know, this was great. Not only, like you mentioned, not only SEC, wall to wall, you had some good Big 12 games and some ACC games. What's, so What's the Big 12? It's a 
conference. It's a Power Five bratty. conference. They don't play defense. Dude, oh, this feels like did a Mississippi tangent. State and LSU play defense? Did pandering. Mississippi State and LSU play defense? Did Florida and Ole Miss play defense? <laughs> no, they, in fact, they didn't. We'll so get, we'll get to that. There you go. Um, Mike Leach has already infested <laughs> the SEC with his Big 12 You You want to know why it works? Sauce. Because the SEC invented Mike Leach at Kentucky in the 90s. And I know we're bouncing around here. I, yeah, I never subscribed <laughs> to the people in the SEC. I think the, the Mike Leach's offense won't work in the SEC was an argument 10 years ago. I don't really think people have been making it in the last five years because look at Alabama, the way they diversified their offense. I think that's like a straw man argument because I saw several. Oh, I got a lot of it on Twitter. Well, SEC yeah. now, great show. The, uh, Dari's does a great job and all those, the panel is really good. But Dari opens his show saying, I think it was Dari said, they said Mike Leach's offense wouldn't work here. No, Mike Leach, in my opinion, wasn't hired by some other SEC schools because he's kind of a loose cannon and you never know what he's going to say. Or tweet. Yeah, so I, I think that was more of the issue with Mike Leach than his offense. There's no doubt his offense was going to work. Can he build a championship team? Do you need to be a championship team at Mississippi State to be successful? No, you probably just need to do what he's doing and win nine or ten games every once in a while, and that's very successful. I need to talk about my weekend. Yeah, he jumped ahead to number two on our list. To, to the air raid. He's working. just ahead. Well, you know, no, what are you going to do? Are you going to kick me out of here? No, of course not. But, okay, but, so but he's also known no, for taking shows great. off the rails. It's what he did for all those years we used to work together. But he, here's what's interesting about what you're saying. I'll start talking about the shows on Netflix I've been watching. We, we can do that later <laughs> in the show. I, I, it, what's funny is that I got so much flack on Twitter from, from people saying, oh, these SEC teams, they don't they, – because, of course, the Big 12 had a bad weekend. And we were like – well, but the SEC doesn't play any. They they they're unimaginative on offense. Blah 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 blah. I'm like, have you watched Alabama in eight years of foot? Like, Georgia's unimaginative. Fine. You want to talk imaginative? Last year, Kentucky had a wide receiver playing quarterback, and they had a great <laughs> offense. They were imaginative in a different way. Yeah, and LSU under Les Miles, unimaginative. But since then, everyone has evolved into the spread. So we'll get to that and whether or not Mike Leach is going to work, whether or not LSU is concerned or not. Aaron, please tell us about your weekend. Thank you. Um, I was puppy sitting for. My mentor, Laura Oakman, um, she's an, probably one of the longest standing female sideline reporters that's around. She's kind of a badass, but she I was puppy here, sitting she? for her. Does she live here? She does. I did not know that. Figured mm-hmm. she lived in Atlanta. She lives here. Okay. Um, she has a brand new nine week old puppy, nine or 10 weeks, named Cash, who I was puppy sitting. And she also has an older dog named Booyah. She was best friends with Stuart Scott, so she named. I was gonna say I was I was gonna ask if the, if the dog is named after Johnny, but then you said the next one was named Booyah, so I'm assuming it's not named after Johnny, even well, though she lives in Nashville. Yeah, no, he is named, named after, after Johnny. Johnny. Okay. She almost named him QB two and called him QB, but she was told that he wouldn't be set up for a successful dog life if he was put in second place from the jump. Mitch, are you you big on the gram? No, no, I, I am not either. Um, I check it out to see what my daughter. If doing you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stalking is what it's called. Yeah, not really just if you were to check out Aaron on Saturday on the gram, which where can people do that? Aaron underscore Dugan, my last name. People would have seen many things on that account. <laughs> many things on that account you can see. The setup you had on Saturday was quite nice. I, I, must, mean, I must admit I was a little jealous. Out by the lake, outdoor projector, football, uh, you know, outside, I, they have a Peloton. I can watch the game on the Peloton. I could watch it while I was cooking. There's a TV in every room. It was amazing. I had dogs, wine, football outside. I was very. Are you going content. to move into this house? I would like to. 
Is there room for my family? <laughs> it's nice uh, in my house. How much is rent? Yeah, exactly. It was it was quite nice. So make sure you check check out the uh, the Instagram account there at Aaron underscore Dugan if you'd like to see what the hell we're talking about here. Nailed it. Um, it was very good. It looked it looked very nice. It looked very relaxing. You know, it was it was very nice. I was very jealous. I have a question for you before we dive into the games in general across the league for both of you, and that is: Should we just add a loss to every prediction we had in April and May and June? Should we just add a singular loss to every single team in the SEC and just say, 10-game schedule, too hard, everyone's going to lose an extra game that we don't expect? Except Bama. I would say, yeah. I, I think it's and one thing that we, we've talked about over the years, and not to be SEC homers or, you as I used to call you, a show. Power 5 yeah. snob that you are, when comparing whether it's a Clemson or you know in, any Power 5 team to when, when Boise State was doing its thing or UCF is the week-to-week grind that you face – playing in a Power 5 league, especially the SEC, and that was in a 12-game schedule over 13 or 14 weeks when you had nine conference games. This is 10 weeks, and hopefully everyone gets there and there's no interruptions. It's 10 games in 10 weeks. Those nagging injuries that you can afford to rest your left tackle because you've got a non-conference game, well, if you're you're playing a conference game on the road, you're not going to rest them. I feel significantly less confident in my predictions that we made last week about what the overall records would look like for the SEC after Saturday. My yeah. confidence level in that and how few losses I predicted is um, no longer feels correct. I think that's fair. LSU obviously made us all think that way. but Very much so. I mean, Bama looked great. We, again, we're going to touch a lot on Bama and A&M with, with Billy uh, later, so we're not going to talk a ton about it, but... I mean, Bama looked spectacular. I still think they're going to lose a game somewhere along this along this path. It's just too. It just looks too hard. Like, I, I mean, maybe Nick Saban can do it. I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think that I said Bama could go through unscathed, but probably wouldn't. Now I could even I see the I see the SEC champion having two losses. I do have a, a quick question before we dive into KJ Costello and Mike Leach and LSU. And Aaron, you have, well, I guess I don't have the question. Aaron has the question. I've been demanding something. I think that, I feel strongly that Braden should get absolutely plastered on Saturdays, do a drunk rant recording of himself after all of the games, trying to break them down in his drunken stupor. And then I want to come in on Sunday morning and break it all down over, you know, a mimosa, over brunch. So it's happening. Eggs Benedict. Mimosas and a drunken rant from me. You'll be funnier drunk, I think, which is funny good because I'm. You're suggesting he's funny now when you say funnier. Okay, sorry. You'll be funny Thanks, drunk, and that's I've been pulling a lot of the comedic weight, and I think this will help even <laughs> things back out. Oh, so have you? Okay, you know? interesting, interesting development here. Just yeah, decide no, what, what kind of businessman. What, what kind I of businessman never... do you want to be, Braden? What kind of operation do you want to run here? Why do you think she's on the show? I, I'm not funny. I've never claimed to be. Yeah, funny. you're funny. This is the. I say a lot of problem. things about you. You're, you're, you're funny. I think you're lying. I don't think you've ever called me funny. I'm not. Well, a I'm funny not going to compliment you anyway. Okay. So I, that the has is, potential. Should I do a? That has potential. Here's what I would say. Yes. I have yes. no desire to do this. Because I have two small children that wake up at 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings and being drunk. And Mitch, you taught me this. Oh, no, it's, it is. I rarely drink anymore. Because you have children. Well, now <laughs> I don't care much. But I stopped drinking. I mean, you know, when in my 20s and 30s, I used to, you know, I enjoyed the frosty cold beverages. I liked going out with friends and drinking. 
There's nothing worse. Drink a few gluties on a Friday night. Than, than waking up at five in the morning when your kids are six months and three years oh old God. when you're hungover. It so is... I just kind of stopped. Dr- I mean, I, I have an occasional beer and wine, obviously, but I just, it's not worth it. No, I have been. But now my kids are you know, 19 and 16. So yeah, yeah, now I you drink for seen. other reasons. Yeah. Uh, I, I have been drunk maybe one time in like two years, maybe three years. This is going to be really fun then. But I drink more than Mitch. Regularly. Yeah, you, like I yeah. have a couple, I'll have a glass of whiskey almost every night. So, you know, I can hang on the liquor. I don't want to deal with the consequences of this. So here's what I'm going to say to you. The only way I'm doing a drunken rant on Saturday nights in real time, like at the detriment to my wife and children and to my own feeling in the morning is if we get enough people to review the show that ask for it and need it and want it so badly, then I'll do it for our audience because I love you guys that much. That's, that's my my rant (laughs) here's what i'll say it's going to happen so if that requires me you know taking out a loan to pay randoms to get us to 50 reviews or whatever we decide on i'll do it but if you guys want to save me a little bit of cash flow maybe we can just have people organically review the show so it's happening it just how much money is it going to cost me 50 reviews is that fair mitch 50 reviews yeah i know you're smart 50 reviews if we get 50 reviews on the show they can be how whatever you want be honest about it you get 50 reviews on the show, I will do a drunken rant on Saturday night for the listeners of this show. And I will break it down sober over brunch <laughs> on Sunday morning. All right. LSU, Mississippi State, KJ Costello, 623 yards, all the records, all the records, all the records. My, my question, and you've already started this a little bit, Mitch, which is, can the air raid be successful in the SEC? Was that an indication of of this? I don't know. It's just one game. I think, I think if you're going to play LSU, you might as well play them when they have no fans in the stands. 37 starters gone and some of their coaches gone. And it was the ideal situation for you to break in a veteran quarterback. And their best uh, cornerback not playing. Yeah, and the best player maybe in college football on defense, Derek Stingley not playing. Is it more air raid Mike Leach can be successful? The times have changed and it's okay in the SEC now. Or is it more we are we need to be far more concerned about LSU big picture this year because of the, the, the losses, Miles Brennan didn't look particularly good. I know he made a couple of big throws, but didn't look particularly productive. What side of that coin are you on? Yes, I'm on both sides. I think Mississippi State in this offense can be successful. I don't think it's a champ- I don't think it's a national championship offense. That's why most you don't see we've talked all about this over the years. The, the spread I know this isn't the spread. This is different than the spread. This is his version. A spread type offense takes. Bad Power 5 programs makes them relevant. It takes relevant Power 5 programs and sometimes makes them really good. I don't think, in my opinion, it takes a really good Power 5 program and makes them national championship worthy. At Washington State, he did an amazing job with it considering the talent. I'm working on a big, and I know you know this, but I'm working on a big recruiting project at The Athletic that's going to run in a couple weeks. And just take a look at Washington State's recruiting over the past, during his tenure there. They, they were not, they did not have. It was not good. They didn't have great players at yeah. all. At Mississippi State, he's got really good players. But back to my point, Washington, one of the more athletic teams in the league with a good defensive coach over the last few years with Jimmy Lake, he never beat Washington there. So that's one playing a good, although he beat Oregon sometimes and they're athletic. So that's that kind of shoots a hole in it that once he plays some of these really good, well-coached athletic teams, they can shut him down. LSU obviously has a lot of athletes. They weren't. I don't think necessarily well coached the other day and they have a lot of new guys in key places. So I think Mississippi state can be an eight to nine win team consistently in the sec. I don't think they're going to win a sec West title with him there. 
fair? I think that's fair. I mean, Coach O owned a lot of that. He took a lot of the coaching burden off of the play or the burden off of the players and said, put it on me, which, you know, maybe he says that sometimes, but I, I think that he really did feel that way. There was some improvements they could make on the coaching front. I think they'll be better when they get some guys back. Obviously, they're missing Stingley, so that was pretty costly for them. There it are looks some... like he's coming back, by the way, this yes. week, hopefully. Yes, so I don't think we got a full picture of exactly what LSU is going to look like, but I think that it's safe to say that maybe even though we all knew the kind of losses that they, were, they had from last year player-wise, I still had them on kind of a subconscious pedestal that I wasn't willing to knock them off of because of what yeah. they were able to put together last year. And I will say that it was Saturday so, knocked me down a little bit on I, LSU. I think the, the, it was stark, right? Like not to no pun intended there with the Bulldogs, but like it was stark the difference between LSU last year and LSU on Saturday. It looked like an LSU team from years ago when they weren't getting great quarterback play. You knew they had good athletes kind of question their coaching to some, to some degree. One thing about the playing Mississippi State, though, it's sort of like the option. You're only going to face that offense. You're only going to face Mike Leach once a year. You can you can talk about it. You can show film. But you can't really simulate it in practice. Here's an idea, though, for you LSU fans and <clears throat> Bo Pelini. How about you get out of man coverage? At any point during the game, get out of man coverage. Did that feel kind insane. of... Insane. Did that feel a little bit arrogant, almost, for him never to switch off of it? He... I'll plug the athletic again today. Uh, Brody Miller, our, our LSU writer, had a story today that I read about Bo Pelini where they actually talked uh, – Brody talked to Bo Pelini's son, who's a walk-on at Notre Dame, saying they were they were playing zone. It just looked like man because there's you have man responsibilities. Hmm. He says they did shift to a zone. Okay, well, so I'm just, okay. maybe I'm just, on all the biggest throws, their, their cornerback was three yards behind the wide receiver, and KJ Costello dropped dimes on all the big plays. And let's give credit to LSU here for some, you know, the sky isn't falling here. They did fight back and it was tied with like 10 minutes to go in the game or whatever. Yes. So it's not like they just, now again, it was the worst defensive performance in SEC history. So we do have to acknowledge that. <laughs> to your point though, Mitch, it, it, there is something to be said. I don't know if the air raid will work all year, but are you really wasting a ton of prep time? Are you changing all of, you know, the reps you're taking in practice for one type of offense? Because you're only going to face that one time. Well, that's so the in cha- that that's a fair point. Sorry for the interruption. But that's one of the challenges of being a college football coach. And yeah. Well, you, you face – you can face a power-rushing team one week. You could face the option the next week. You can face a five-wide team the next week. And you have, in theory, 20 hours of practice. And we ran a story like this at Athlon a couple of years ago where one of the, it was Bob Shoup, former defensive coordinator, you know, who's going to speak up for defensive coordinators. He said being – the defensive coordinator in college football is the hardest job in coaching because you've got basically two days to install a game plan every week. And this is back before the NFL had sort of, you know, modernized a little bit. The NFL, basically, you're saying you're, you were facing the same offenses every week. SEC, there's so much variance that you see. Aaron, I know you had one more comment about the game before we move on to Auburn and Kentucky uh, about the broadcast and KJ Costello. Kid's an absolute interview pro. <laughs> I was... I was so impressed. Um, he, of course, you know, I mean, he's played before, and so it's not like he's never done an interview. But that post-game interview, he was asked one question, and he a- answered f- all five that he would have been asked. He was emotional. He was vulnerable. He talked about his injury, how he didn't know where he would be, you know, this time last year, coming to Starkville, which, by the way, was probably a pretty big culture shock, just as a side note from 
California. Oh, you think Palo Alto is different than Starkville? I do. I do think it's a little bit different. Then his teammate came and interview bombed him and was bragging on him. He threw credit back to his teammates. He said Mike Leach is quote unquote just different. And then he drops the ultimate bomb. And I'm sure Greg Sankey was just like beside himself. But he's like, the SEC really just does mean more. Imagine if there were 100,000 people there. Like he imagine? said that after a game in front of 20,000 LSU fans. Yeah. If, if he would have... Because... You know. If he would have done what he did, 623 yards in yeah. front of 110 in Baton Rouge, yeah. he, he would have... Yeah. Be... And the only word that you didn't use that came to my mind was authentic. You know, he was just... Yeah. He was yeah. authentic. And it, it's cool to see, like, not to be corny, but I think we all appreciate the the bonding and the camaraderie of, of college athletics. And to see a guy like that, California kid, played at Stanford, probably didn't have a lot in common with a lot of his teammates, and they, you know, he they didn't have summer, the official t- typical summer, to see him embrace like that now it's a lot easier when your dude's throwing for 600 yards you're gonna embrace him but i i i i I appreciate that that was really cool the culture felt authentic even though he's been there for what three and a half or four months it felt like they really had each other's back not only during the game but you could kind of feel it after the game as well so i do want to ask both of you guys because you both have this experience in your past and and i actually have never done this and i find it interesting and i did have an embarrassing moment with Ali LaForce, who used to be the CBS Game of the Week sideline reporter, um, really awesome, awesome, hardworking uh, person. And I was talking to her at SEC Media Days one time. I was interviewing her, and I, I asked her, I said, is being a sideline side reporter the most thankless job in broadcasting? And she, she misheard me, and I think, Mitch, you've heard the story. Actually, I have not. Okay, so she misheard me, and she goes, thinkless? Braden, you think it's a thinkless job? And Good was job, like. Braden. And was clearly offended, as she should have been, yes. <laughs> if she thought I had said thinkless. And I like I remember <laughs> I could feel the temperature in my face changing. And I was like, no, 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 Miss Allie. Uh, <laughs> and like, it was funny because... Quaking. She she was getting married at the time. I was getting married at the time. So we had been... Like, we had... So you're saying you weren't going to ask her We had gotten out. along. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for you clarifying. You had no shock with her Thank anymore. Thank you for clarifying. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that there had been a... Because under normal circumstances, Aaron, <laughs> obviously Allie LaForce would be like, No, what I, what I meant golf. was is she that she's married to, to a major league baseball player, by the way. That's what I was afraid of when I invited you both into this, my house. So this Feels is, right. This is what happened. Like, the point, the reason I say that was not, not to suggest <laughs> that I was going to try to date Allie LaForce, was that we had already had lengthy conversation and had gotten along. And like, she had gotten, like, to, to hear me say that, I go, Oh my God. And I go, No, 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 no. Thankless. It's the toughest job in, in, in sports because you've got. Five seconds to walk up to a coach who's either pissed off that his team's winning or excited that his team's are winning or losing, and then at the end of the game, it's one of the hardest jobs, and you both have done it. And so I just was curious. I'm glad to hear some feedback on what KJ did, and maybe give some some listeners some insight as to how difficult it is to run up to a coach at halftime who's so focused on what he's doing and to try to get something meaningful out of that person. Well. I'll jump in here first. For seven years, I was a sideline reporter for Vanderbilt Radio, and it's different because the head coach is contractually obligated to give the home radio or the, the his his radio team a soundbite. So it was never I never had to run and chase anyone. You know, sometimes they forget, I'd flag them down, but it was never an issue. And quite honestly, I didn't really care what they said. I don't think the listener cared what you said. I'm not expecting the head coach to to reveal anything in a halftime interview. It's just you know. Thoughts on thoughts on this, thoughts on that. So it was it was really her job, a, a network sideline reporter, and, and typically they're 
they are interviewing the coach at halftime who's winning, and after the game, they're interviewing the, the winning team and the winning player. So, but that's not always the case. Sometimes you've got it under difficult circumstances. Um, so it is awkward at times. They don't really want to be doing it, but my experiences with James Franklin and Derek Mason, they were great and it was easy to work with. And they just, they, sometimes they kept walking and you got to walk with them. I got on TV and that's when you got to on TV, as, they, yeah. as they scanned, you know, as they, they would scan away and I'd get like some texts and like, wow, your hair looks gray or Braden might con- comment. Sometimes I look fantastic. I would, or, I would or text my visor. He didn't like my visor. Yeah. I would text him and be like visor, bad choice. Normally is. Allie liked my visor in the CBS game we did together. <laughs> it, um, I think that if you have to interview anyone on the losing side, it's always going to be difficult. Halftime interviews are always going to be difficult because you're not going to get emotion because they're trying to hold it together no matter how they feel. And they're not going to tell you anything. Right. The post-game interview, even when it goes well, it's hard, especially after a sec- exciting win like Mississippi State LSU was for KJ Costello. Even when they're normally good because they're filled with emotion, even if they're energy i mean if their answers aren't that good but for him to be that level-headed and that thoughtful under yeah the pressure of that interview i mean it probably speaks to why he's he seems clear uh clear head clear mind full heart clear head full heart oh god you just offended our guest on the show did i i just rewatched all of friday night lights by the way okay well didn't offend watched, much. i've watched an episode she got the tagline wrong i know it's okay. clear head Speaking full clear, heart can't lose clear eyes yeah Dang it. Speaking of which, and I know we're kind of going off subject here, but Ali LaForce gave one of the emotional. She did the uh, the CBS crew did the Vanderbilt Georgia game when uh, Austin Carter Samuels tore his ACL three days after his grandfather, who was extremely close to, and he's a fifth year senior, so it ended up not ending his career. But he thought his career was over. Vanderbilt upsets Georgia. He's walking up, running on the field in crutches. And she grabs him, and you, she, you could tell she was emotional. I think I've seen on YouTube. He was emotional. He's crying, and it was just, you know, I bet that's one that she's done hundreds of these. I bet she remembers that one. So it's interesting that's to cool. me in listening to these stories is that, and, and your observations about KJ, Aaron, is that 99% of the time you're going to get a bunch of garbage because the coaches are focused and the players are focused and it's halftime or whatever. But on the occasion – when you get the person who accomplished something special or something unique happened, that that is where there's true magic because you are actually getting in the moment visceral reactions from somebody. And so it has to have like, you have to throw for 623 yards in Baton Rouge, for example, as a transfer quarterback for that to happen. Or, you know, lose your grandfather and then tear your ACL for it to, it almost feels like it's a very small percentage of the time, but when it is good, it's really good is what it feels like. I think I think that's true, and I think it's even more so than it being personal accomplishment-based like it was, or KJ Costello throwing for six over 600 yards. It's more when you the guys feel like they won as a team and they feel closer, and it feels like a big-time team win. That's when you get the best yeah. stuff. I'll tell, real quick, I'll tell you what's not fun is interviewing a player who doesn't want to be interviewed in the post-game locker room. The worst thing. Uh, yeah, yeah it's just they just. No, I don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. But that's one of those things. And it know. smells bad. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a lot of dude. Uh, worst worst uh, post game interview. This is SEC related, but it's basketball. The worst post game interview I've ever conducted, or worst weirdest maybe, was Marshall Henderson after Ole Miss won the SEC tournament, and I sat down next to him, and the SID had given me clearance to talk to him because I was doing this for serious or whatever. And I sat down and I said. I don't remember exactly what I, my first question was, but I was like, Marshall, you, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have, you know, had a lot to say about. I don't like you. Yeah, I didn't. I don't think I said that, <laughs> but I was trying to get that point across. Like, sure. there's a lot of people out there that have had a lot of opinions about you, 
And you know, what do you have to like, how does this feel? And what do you have to say to all the people that doubted you guys? Something along those lines. And he, he sat there, oh God. this was live on Sirius XM and he sat there on his phone, dead silent texting. Was he did, not listening to you? Or no, did no, he, he was you? doing it on purpose. Okay. And then about eight, so 10 did he read his text on the air? I am starting again, just like with Ali, like my temperature in my face is going up. So I'm like, what am I going to do? I got to get I'm this. I'm not going to date Marshall Henderson. I got to get this jack wagon to say something. So I, I, I'm about to start asking another question and he like the shtick ends, right? So he puts his phone. He's like, oh, whoa, whoa, what'd you say something? Did you say something? Like he he was just playing it up and then he answered the question like, he answered a couple of questions, but it was just such it's a- Coach Henderson now. It was, yeah, right. He's back For, at Ole Miss. Um, no, he's, Ole Miss? A, he's a grad assistant at Ole Miss. All right. Um, Auburn and Kentucky. Uh, I am sorry, Auburn fans. You were wrong. I was wrong. I had Kentucky winning outright. That was one of those too many people. Too many people like Kentucky. Well, they must have listened to me then because I started that like a month and a half ago. And I was wrong. I was Although, I wasn't... Here's the thing. I was wrong. Auburn wins. Bo Nix made big plays. Seth Williams, you guys deserve all the credit in the world. We'll get to you, Auburn, in just a second. But Kentucky, you had the opportunity. A terrible call by the officials. I don't care what You people, mean if you get the ball over the end I, zone, it's not a touchdown? People have been sending me pictures of his <laughs> knee being down. I'm like, they didn't rule him down. You can't. Anyway, bad officiating. Very next play or two plays later, you throw a pick six. The momentum is done. You fumble the ball in the third quarter. Like you had chances. Bad coaching decisions by Mark Stoops. I just I look at 2020. We talked about the margin for error being incredibly small. When you have an opportunity on the road against a team that's better than you, and you play equal to them, more time of possession, more snaps, more yards, you have to capitalize. And Kentucky totally wet to bed. When you're Kentucky and you're a good team, but you're not as talented on the road, you have to play perfectly. They didn't. Auburn. Converted, I think it was three or four touchdowns in the red zone. Kentucky, that one possession you're talking about, they didn't convert touchdowns in the red zone. I mean, yeah, turnovers, 2 nothing. One thing that alarmed me to some degree from this game, I don't think they – Eddie Grand, Kentucky offensive coordinator, Braden, do you want do you want Terry Wilson throwing 37 times on no. the road? Uh, you know. No. Now, he looked in control most of the time. I thought Eddie Grant actually. I thought they were, I'm a huge Eddie Grant fan. I love yeah, what they I, did last year with that offense. I like the scheme. I think the scheme was was well conceived. And again, they dominated statistically. They had the football most of the time. Terry, the fumble is just come on, dude. And the interception, come on, dude. <laughs> I think you're right. You don't want 37 uh, pass attempts in the game. And then we can talk about the controversial targeting call and whether or not we feel when there are bad enough calls, are we okay with those kind of makeup calls which some people say that targeting call was one yeah i think it's i'd like all the calls to be right but and i think we all agree with that it's not controversial but if there is one that feels super egregious i don't mind in the karmic balance of football fandom if another call might be a little questionable going the other way to try to balance that out. Now, I actually think it was the right call, so I'm a, so do I. I'm okay with it either way. I agree as well. Our but, one agreement. But let's say that it's let's say that it wasn't a, a great call. Like, are you okay yes. as a, as a fan with I, it being balanced? I love out? in college basketball bad call. Next five seconds later, the phantom moving screen. Yeah, I, I want things to be fair, and if Kentucky got screwed. I don't want to see Auburn score a touchdown. I know maybe that that doesn't make sense. They, they the even if it's against it off, the, even if it's against the rules and it was the wrong call. The, I mean, the second well, call within reason. Call. I mean, I don't want them to make up a clipping like right. some like dude who wasn't on the field. The half ended probably the way it should have. 
I mean, no, Kentucky should have been up by seven. Well, yeah, you, but it it should not have been set. It should not have been a fourteen point swing. Yeah, exactly. I am great with zero egregious calls. I am fine with well, good luck two. with that. Yeah, SEC officials were not good on Saturday. Two is fine. If you're going to make one outright crazy, ridiculous, bad call, if you make another one to make up for it, I'm not mad at you. However, in my mind, and to me, watching it back, everyone's an analyst with replay and slow mo. We all know, you know, we're all geniuses in that on that front. But that that was targeting to me and I'm going to get uninvited to my friend's house on Saturday to watch football because he's a diehard Auburn fan Brooks but he would no free shouts on the show well I gotta I gotta keep my invite okay um that if you he had time he had time to change the way that his body was positioned I believe and if you're not gonna they're trying to change the game so if you're not willing to change the way you play to make you know, to, to, to meet habits. them at that, then you're going to be punished for it. Yeah, I'm okay with that. And lastly, on Kentucky, you miss an opportunity like that. You get Ole Miss at home this weekend. We'll touch on that game in a second. But now you go Mississippi State at Tennessee, Georgia. That's three ranked teams in the next four. And that doesn't include Florida and Alabama later in the year. It just shows you, to me, Kentucky's loss this weekend shows you how, how the whole thing is a tightrope walk this year. Like, you, you've got to take advantage of opportunities if you have them. I, I almost don't know what to say about Auburn, to be honest. They ran the ball... Just they held the, serve against yeah, the like, team. That's probably a good, nice tennis analogy there. They they ran the ball okay. It wasn't great. They played good defense. Not great. Bo Nix was pretty solid, pretty clutch, but not elite. Like He made the, the right plays when he needed to. Threw it up there for Seth Williams to make plays. I don't really know what to make of Auburn. Now we'll find out a lot about Auburn this weekend against Georgia. I think it's but, a compliment to Kentucky that you're say, suggesting that there's a missed opportunity in losing a road game in Auburn. Yeah. See that, Kentucky fans? They've got to be better on defensively on third down for sure they kept they gave up a bunch was it tennessee that was like one of 97 yeah, on third down we're about to get that to okay like one of 11 just, or yeah, something that, that's yeah, hard to do yeah but I, hard I, to do and win it, it's is it weird not to i don't feel like i have a lot to say about auburn after watching that game it's only one game you don't need like a series of you know we have a podcast hot about takes. Those Gus games, didn't though. wear a vest though but i understand why Oh, did you like the tie? Yeah, in the, uh, it was a hat? tribute. Yeah, yeah, throwback yes. there. I, I'm cool with that too. Look good. Anything else you'd like to add to Auburn before we move on? Clearly, you guys see. Just like me, nobody has a lot to talk about with yeah, Auburn. I'm good. We'll learn it's about been them like against five minutes talking about it. Yeah, we'll see this week. Vols did get a chance. They did finish their chance and opportunity to get a W on the road against an inferior team, and they capitalized on that. Jared Garantano made the big throw. It feels like this team is solid. Nothing spectacular. They've got some nice young pieces, as we thought from last year. Henry Toto made a big play, of course, on defense. But it does feel like, is it as simple for Tennessee as they will go as JG takes them if he is accurate? Because even in the South Carolina game. They he were, just has some throws. You're like, dude, you've been playing quarterback for 15 years. Why are you throwing it 100 miles an hour, five feet over somebody's like, head? I understand, mm-hmm. speaking of like being on the field and sideline reporter, you watch a game down there and you you think quarterbacks should throw an interception every other play. Like There's there's just people running all over the place. It's true. And... and, and uh, and Jeremy Pruitt was like, he makes the right decisions. He just misses some throws. You would think it would be the other way around. Like, and a lot of them aren't difficult throws. So that's that's my thing with Tennessee. The talent's pretty good. You, I like their running game. Obviously, their offensive line. They've got elite talent there that still needs to improve. Uh, so we'll see if they get Cade Mays back. But in a big game on third and eight, they can't afford their fifth-year senior quarterback to throw the ball two yards too wide. That could cost them – a big win. He also made the two huge throws on the game-winning drive down the left sideline and then down the yeah. touchdown pass that were brilliant. That's the thing. It, you just never know. He's either totally yeah. overshooting he, someone or he's nailing it. And I think 
I think that Tennessee will go as far as he takes them. Yeah, but they they have the pieces to do it. I think they have the receivers to do it, the line, but he's got to be more accurate. South Carolina, I guess you call it a missed opportunity because you muffed a punt. I mean, I know it's not they technically no a muff, but a like, you know. Yeah, but they, it's not like ten, Tennessee was giving up chunk True. plays in the second half. And they just needed they needed four points. They couldn't kick a field goal. They've got some issues. They don't really have playmakers outside of Shy Smith, a wide receiver. They couldn't find a left tackle in preseason camp. Like they were just rotating guys and, yeah. and their best running back, Marshawn Lloyd, true freshman, four star kid from uh from Maryland, who was their highest rated out of state running back recruit they've ever signed, was going to be their starter, got hurt there. I don't think this is a great South Carolina team. There's a lot of pressure on Will Muschamp. It's funny, our, our South Carolina writer, Josh Kendall, you know, all of our writers do mailbags. The first four questions before the season, like after the season was officially announced, was about when when's Will Muschamp, or is he going to get fired yeah. because of all the, the, the financial issues with, with COVID. So I don't love the South Carolina team. No, they're, they're not. Again, they have like... I think one in five is very possible for South Carolina if you look at their schedule. That's why they looked at this game as, right. even though Tennessee was the better team, that they needed to steal this one. And Billy Lucci will comment about this a little bit later on in the show, that if your team doesn't achieve expectations this year, there's a lot of fans that are kind of just going to shrug and say, oh, well, at least we got to watch football. And I, I actually think that's a really healthy attitude. It's not normal. But do you think it's true? It's not I think normal you can in say SEC, that though. in August when we don't think we're going to have football. I don't think people are going to be rational in December when their team's three and seven. Well, it's because they're because they're all part of the fringe element here in the SEC land. That is for sure. Uh, any thoughts on South Carolina, Aaron? Before we move on to Florida and Georgia, bigger bigger fish to fry. I wasn't wowed by the game in general. Um, I'm fine with moving on. Okay. <laughs> I'm not trying to dis. I'm not trying to discount the Gamecocks, but. I don't know. I don't feel passionately. Two weeks in okay, a row, you've he, knocked no, the game. No, 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 no. I hey, said the game. No, no artificial hot takes. If you don't have a strong opinion, that's true. Just move on. That's not. That's that's true. Authenticity. I'm what ready we do to here. move on. Authenticity is what we do here on the show. Just the KJ Costello. Authentic. <laughs> exactly. Florida and Georgia. The discussion about Florida and Georgia all summer long was continuity, starting quarterback, changing the offense. How much is that going to help Florida and hurt Georgia? Well, they're both one and zero, and Georgia handled themselves pretty well because their defense is just disgusting but their offensive performances in week one were a little different mitch yeah obviously florida was very very good kyle trask on point six touchdown passes and the kyle pitts is probably the best tight end in the country but i was they, shocked he came back to college they have some serious questions at the wide receiver just guys need to step up guys like copeland uh Kadarius tony was good but they lost they've th- i think three dudes from last year in the nfl so and their running game is their their offensive line was not great in uh, in the running game last year. They got a lot of guys back, but that doesn't always mean you're better just because you have everyone back there. So I think there were some there were some issues on uh, questions on offense. Obviously, so so hang on. Set records, fifty one points. Are you saying before no, the there game? There were. Yeah, gotcha, I read gotcha. a lot of Florida stuff, and there were some issues about the offensive line. They got, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I thought you were talking about after yeah. watching the game. <laughs> can they run the ball? Yeah, but they were they were great offensively obviously we don't know how good Ole Miss is but one thing I love about this year and we've talked stats for years I hated in college football you could be five weeks in and you have one team that's played an FBS team or an FCS team two non-conference team and two conference teams and you got another team that's played four power five teams like stats didn't mean a lot because schedules weren't similar in the SEC this year every week's an SEC game so stats mean more 
It just so means you're saying more. It, just, okay. it just means more. So the point being, yes, they did it Checks against Ole Miss, who might not be great, but they didn't do it against Ole Miss sucks Georgia. On, Ole Miss sucks on defense. They're not good. Ole Miss was interesting. I I saw them in person last year. John Rice Plumley was one of the most was a very fun player to watch. I wanted to see what Lane Kiffin would do with him. He was heavily involved in the game plan early, like they scripted some things, even caught a pass that was called back on a penalty. But it was basically the Matt Corral show, which was a little surprising. Um, I want to talk about the Kyles. Oh God! All right, before we do this, okay, I have one. I, I was. I have a. I have a important point to make about John Rice Plumley, and okay. before we get to your nonsense, because it's ridiculous. All, it's Who's the best nonsense. Kyle? Kyle Chandler. Not, no, no, Coach Taylor. No, no, we're about Kyles. to rank Kyles, Mitch. Just hang on. Coach a second. Chandler. It's Co- not. Coach. Coach. <laughs> Coach is the best. Friday Night Kyle Chandler. Friday Night Lights. Okay, okay, okay. So, uh, real quickly, if you listen to last, week, last week's show, which you should, rate, review, and subscribe, you heard them talking about, I think it was Cole. This is the only show you do? Cole Kubelik. I've got a lot of shows. Cole Kubelik <laughs> was talking about. What's your name? That's funny. At Braden Gall. Uh, <laughs> Cole Kubelik was talking about how Lane Kiffin, while at Alabama, was never involved in any of the RPO zone read stuff. It was always Mike Loxley. Brian Dayball was there at Alabama. It was Mike Loxley. So Lane Kiffin always outsourced how to manage a running quarterback. I thought that was an interesting point by Cole last week. And it's not surprising that Corral is the guy because he's the better passer. They took a lot of shots down the middle of the field. And, and they're going to score some points on people this year. There's, there's no question about that. So uh, I just wanted to make that. They, got, they have really good – Jerry and Ely really good. Snoop yeah. Connor, they've recruited well to that position. I just wanted to make that point before we start talking about Kyles because I thought Cole made a great point. And if you missed it, which you should never do, go back and listen to the show last week. Cole made nice points. This Aaron, is a nonsense, by the way. I, I want to talk about Kyle Trask not, and Kyle Pitts. So we talked about it's been a long time <laughs> Stop. since Florida's had a quarterback you can get really excited about. This guy's fun to watch. I joked with you yesterday. I'm like, should we call him a franchise quarterback Like once they start getting paid? I don't know. Well, Feels well, this, right. is the, this is the SEC. They all get paid. Okay. No comment. But him and Kyle Pitts, super fun to watch. I know that you said as a Packers fan, you kind of wish they had taken Kyle Pitts last year. I, w- I wanted Kyle Pitts to come out of college and for draft the Packers. Who's not in the draft. I wanted him to come out of college last year and for the Packers to draft him. I think he's the best tight end in America. He, uh, what, four of the six touchdown passes were to him. Kyle Trask said, I think after the game, said he gives defense such a hard time because he's too big for cornerbacks. Yep. And... Too fast for the linebackers. Yep. So yes. super impressive. And so the Kyles got all the attention. And I told you I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you want to learn about Aaron on the show, which is part of the joy of listening to this show, Aaron went to a lot of proms. I went to several proms. How many proms did you go to? Four. Four proms. I went to three proms. Okay. Mitch, how many proms? Three. Three proms? Yeah. That's a lot of proms between the three of us. Yeah, it's actually. Yeah. Do you remember the names of all the people you went to prom with, Mitch? <laughs> yeah. What were they? <laughs> should we all should we say all of them on the show? Yeah, y'all um, go first. Well, my, my senior year, my girlfriend was a junior in high school. So I went to her prom, she went to my prom. Okay, just say the three names of the people that you went to prom with. Amy Pigott. And <laughs> you don't have to go last name. Amy and Su- Susie, I think was her first name. Susie. No one's named Susie uh, anymore. I went to somebody else's prom. Ooh, you're the cool guy. CPA, actually, here CPA. in Nashville. Uh, and then she came to my prom my junior year. That would have been my junior year. Uh, Stephanie, I believe, was her name. And I actually, uh, true story. We, I hope so. We broke up 
At prom? I broke Say up. at prom. I broke up with her on the General Jackson, which is a boat in what? Nashville. What the hell is wrong with prom. you? Yeah. You made her cry at prom. No, she was... She's probably she, happy. She was strangely, guys. She was fine with it. okay, bet. You're like, I'm sorry. She's like, no, it's fine. Totally fine. <laughs> Promise it's fine. Uh, it didn't quite go that smoothly. But, uh, and then uh, a girl named, the girl that I dated my whole Why would you senior year that? named Wendy. I, it, it's a long story, Aaron, for an off-season podcast. <laughs> okay, well, sorry to her, but also... She's better off. Winning. Yeah, she's better off. And so what were what were the names of the four different people you went to prom with, Aaron? Um, Kyle, 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 and Kyle. You went to four separate proms with four separate dudes all named Kyle. They were all named Kyle. You're so serious? You didn't know that was where we were going with no. this? No. I was like, what the? <laughs> no, I'm. He jumped all over your. Yeah. I know. I was kidding. Right? I thought Braden had told you beforehand. No, I'm. That's real. That really happened. True story. It's really hard to is do. Is that yeah. my fault or is it just too many people naming their kid Kyle? Were they all on the lacrosse team or something? Like what? No. They're all lax bros? Mm-mm. My cousin about. married his first wife's name, Candace. Got divorced. Second wife, Candace. Makes it easy to remember. Yeah, totally. So who'd you go to prom with? Kyle. Kyle. Easy to remember. Always true. How different were they? Well. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> you had a type in high school? <laughs> I think we all do. No, they're different. I mean, uh, I'd say a couple favored each other. I feel like that's that's hard to do. Like, anyway, yeah. so you just were like, you had a lot of nostalgia going on watching Florida. On, <laughs> I mean, I think by the transitive property, I'm basically the offensive coordinator at Florida. Well, if you think about it, because it, he's control. You know, he had all the Kyles and yeah. I think by the transitive property, oh my god, I'm the offensive coordinator at Florida. That's crazy. And and you're also Kyle Trask, best SEC quarterback since, named Kyle since. Kyle Schirmer. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God, I should have picked up. I know that. Yeah, that, was, that was an easy one. Uh, Are was, there any other Kyle? I will say this, perhaps, with because we have some actual points we need to make about Georgia and Florida here. That was important. Uh, number one, when's the last time you went into a Florida game as an opposing team, knowing that you probably have to score thirty to win? I, I think that's a big deal. It was probably Tebow. Think so. I mean, it's been. Yeah. When's the last time? I mean, I know they won a couple divisions. They're pretty good offensively last year. Yeah, because Dan. Yeah. Dan, I'm talking. Okay, pre Dan Mullen. Okay. Well, okay. Sorry. So when's the last time? Last year. Yeah, definitely. That's a that's a pretty big deal. Like because we know. The I mean, defense. they had a stunning run of bad offense. Yes. From like, <laughs> go to cfbstats.com. Stunning just, was a great word there, Mitch. Yeah. No, it, it, it's stunning how for about. Seven-year period, they were either like 11th. No, it was great because they were like 11th or 12th in the SEC offense. And then they started going 13th or 14th when the league expanded. There was you know. In a state with the best <laughs> offensive skill weapons And they were in recruiting high school, good quarterbacks, whether they were misses or whatever. It wasn't like they didn't have was, – was it John Brantley? John Brantley was they had some guys that just did not get it done. And they had some guys who transferred and got it done. They Jeff Driscoll. And uh, the Colts dude that went to NC State, Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, two guys transferred from their program because they couldn't play, supposedly, made the NFL. Aaron, Georgia, can you can you win the SEC with that defense this year? Or as we're watching Mississippi State slinging around and Florida slinging around and we're looking at the offenses, it, the obvious concern for Georgia is that the offense is not going to be where it needs to be. And that was the concern all summer. Jamie Newman was supposed to be the answer. That didn't work out. JT Daniels was supposed to be the answer. He hasn't been medically cleared yet. I, I think Georgia's defense is still the best in America, so I still think Georgia's really good. 
But how concerned are you guys about Georgia's offense? I'm concerned, especially after seeing Florida with our picks. I'm especially after seeing Florida because I think I had the Gators, by the way. Yes, we we know. As did I. You can hold. I mean, having a great defense helps, but you. I mean, you have to score points. So I think it can. I would say it would keep them hanging in there until those quarterbacks are a little bit more developed, but they have Auburn and Alabama in the next three weeks. And, I mean, they play Tennessee too, but those two very, very strong teams that they have to go up against. Um, so it's going to be hard for, you know, the defense to carry them through those two matchups. And I'm going to say that I'm a little bit concerned about how they handled things with quarterbacks this week. I know you have to, I know you have to win. I get that. But I've seen, I've seen things go bad when you pull a quarterback that you're trying to, you know, develop and have faith in that early. You can kill a kid's confidence like that. I've seen kids get pulled after, you know, early in like the first one or two matchups of the year. Vander, it's happened at Vanderbilt before you pull that kid during the first game. They are the most visible player. So if you pull another kid, it's not going to feel like it is if you're a starting quarterback and you get pulled. Then you got a kid walking around with their head between their legs all through the athletic department the next day, and you might need him. I know that Stetson worked yeah. this week, but you might need Mathis, and you might have, you know, caused some intangible issues with his confidence. Let me ask you guys a, a question here about this particular issue because I think I've changed my perception on this. If you are mentally destroyed because you got pulled from the game. I don't think you belong as a starting quarterback in the SEC. I, I didn't used to believe that. Good point. I didn't used to believe that. But I now think if you are QB1 in the SEC, you don't come to this league to be mentally frail. I, I just think if you are yeah, – you if, if your yeah, confidence is destroyed because you got – now Mathis is a great kid. He's got a great backstory. You know, he, you know, really, I, I went into this thinking because I was watching that game, but I wasn't – you know, every play that – Pulled Mathis a little too quickly. It was only a 7 nothing game. My theory in that is, like, if, if you're within one score, don't panic. But he played six series. That's a lot. So I don't think they necessarily pulled him that quickly. And I made that point specifically about being mentally tough because I was on another podcast on, on, on the Braden Gall Network. It was asked about Ken Seals as a true freshman, the third, third true freshman starting his team's first game, about his, killing his confidence because playing in front of a suspect offensive line could get – and my point was, if you are, if the things I'm hearing about that kid, that he's, you know, he's got the it factor, he's mentally tough, he can handle it. And I pointed to Jay Cutler, who was a redshirt freshman, wasn't a true freshman. When Bobby Johnson became the coach at Vanderbilt, first game they go down to Georgia Tech. He got destroyed. Got destroyed. All year got destroyed. But he was a very mentally tough kid. He didn't care when he, and he grew with that offense by the time he was a senior. They had a very good offense. I, so I agree with your point entirely. If, if you've got the makeup, you can bounce back from being pulled. Aaron, do you think Jay Cutler ever had a problem with confidence? No. I don't. One, one, all, one word answer is I, all we needed on that I, 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 I will say that I see your point that mental stamina and strength is important. But also, you know, think about baseball. You don't pull a kid every time he gets in a jam. You let him work through it. I think they pulled him a little bit early. Okay. I mean, I think that's fair. And especially if you hyped up Dewan Mathis all preseason I, well yeah I, I and think you obviously have some doubt about Stetson because going into camp he was your four string guy so you might need Mathis again I think coaches panic sometimes too they want to go in no and I think like I'm watching on TV and I know Georgia's defense is awesome and we know Arkansas probably improved 
But we're like, George is going to win this game. But Kirby's, the bullets are flying. He's down 7 nothing. He's sweating. He's like, oh, my. So he makes the move. Coaches, I think sometimes. The bangs are in his eyes. Yeah, he, he might he can't see everything. It you just, know, I'm not saying he made the right or the wrong move. I just think he. I follow you. They, they want to win that game. He's not looking. When they're down 7 nothing and they look like crap, he's not thinking big picture. Well, that's, that's where my, all the time I spin around Tim Corbin comes into my head because he just lets kids work through things in baseball and everyone's looking at him like when are you going to pull that kid everyone's leaning over the <laughs> the dugout wall looking at Corbs and he's like putting his hand up like Corbs is a genius he, he's he like is a, a genius he's, he's perfect a, he's on a different planet man that guy there's there's no question about it I love it. him so speaking much. of different planet if you guys Netflix show I'm serious <laughs> away oh my it's God. so good away <laughs> no highly recommend takes, it <laughs> no one takes a right turn from the left lane better than Mitch Light it is no one really good started watching it that. two days ago really good away it's about a, a Mars mission. I don't even know what the name of the show was. I Away. didn't hear it. A-W-A-Y. I, I'm not Highly kidding. recommend it. You think I'm kidding, Aaron. No one takes an off-ramp from the left lane better than Mitch well, Lake. What are you going to do? It. Kick me out of here? I'll just go home. I, I can in a few so minutes. I, I we like got, we having you here. I don't want you to leave. A few okay. more minutes. Auburn and uh, Auburn and Georgia. So Georgia next up. I want to kind of... We've got a couple more comments about no last No idea week, about Auburn. Georgia. But I want to... I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm just excited to see it because I don't Is really know... 230? Is it the 2.30 game? I don't have that no, no, it's not your fault. Like I do that too. I just Saturday morning I'll wake up and I'll figure out what's on. Alabama there at seven thirty p.m. Okay, yeah, Alabama a And M. I believe is yes, two thirty. So I agree. There's not a whole lot to talk about with Georgia and Auburn because we're not really sure what Auburn was. We just got done talking about that. We're not a hundred percent sure what Georgia is on offense. Here's what I will say: Is it weird to be leaning Auburn in this game outright? Is that weird? I think it's a slight overreaction, but I okay. understand. Like, there's two there's two ways of looking at it. One is we have a sample size of one game, so we go off of that. But then we also know certain things that, right? Because we've seen these teams play in the past, and we know the DNA of these certain programs. I don't think that's outlandish, but I think Auburn will have to be pretty good. In outlandish, usually don't hear that. Yes. It's an outlandish pronunciation of I think outlandish. For Auburn to do that, they're going to have to be, their passing game is going to have to be pretty strong. I think them getting yardage on the ground with Georgia is going to be tough. Now, if Bo Nix goes in there and plays well, then we can, st- he wasn't really that good as a freshman. He's probably. the X factor. Yeah. Like, he's the, I hate to use that phrase, it's such a cliche, but like, if you're, ben- like, I think both defenses are pretty good. I think Georgia's going to, to your point, Aaron, Georgia's going to, it's going to be hard to score on Georgia. Mm-hmm. But, but who do you trust to make the big throw? Probably drifting to his right out of the pocket and up into the air to Seth Williams because that's what he does. But like, if you're trusting one guy to make that throw, it's not Stetson Bennett, the fourth. The fourth. <laughs> Last before he, no, he was not bad. Before, no, he wasn't bad. He was like twenty to twenty-nine. Before Saturday, obviously, I would have picked Georgia because you know I picked them right. to win the East for all the reasons we have named, plus the the quarterback. I won't call it a crisis, but you know, question mark. I don't think that's an outlandish prediction. They're, and they're, in the spread, only like seven points. Yeah, and they're not far from crisis. I, I don't have a whole lot of previewing to do for that game, even though it seems like it's the most important game of the week. I think everybody assumes Alabama is going to beat Texas A&M, which is maybe... I think Alabama is going to beat everyone. Big picture, do I yes. think they're going to go undefeated? No, but I, every game, I'm, of course, going to pick them to win. Yes. Do you guys want to chime in on Alabama at all? I mean, I, I think the, the one big misnomer is that Mac Jones is a game manager. He's definitely he some, not a game manager. Yeah. He made some good throws. They were they're very good. They were just boringly methodical or methodically boring. You know, just twenty one. I didn't watch 
I was watching two other games at that point. It was and, thirty-five to three in the third. Yeah, quarter, it was twenty-one right? nothing on the first play of the second quarter. Yeah. They just very, you know, but on a day when some other good teams did not take care of business, yeah. you know, didn't look great. They look great. They're good at football games. Yeah. They have well won said. it all. Thank you. They have won well, it all gonna, with quarterbacks. I'm going to write that down. Alabama is good at football games. Yeah, Mitch, take notes. Yes. Um, they have won with quarterbacks who were far, far from being Heisman contenders. They have proven that their system doesn't really need that. Their system works just fine. Carry on as you were. Yeah. Um, anything else you'd like to add from last week? We've been going for a while here. Do I have to say the word Missouri on the show because it's an SEC podcast? I feel like I should. They're, it's hard they, to tell. I mean, Alabama's so good, and you know right. they fall they fall behind quickly. You know, Sean Robinson. I I didn't see a lot of this game. You know, so I'm not. You know, I don't want to really assess their play offensively because I didn't watch much of it. But you're going against a good defense. I think a theme. Good teams win. Great teams cover. And Missouri is, covered is going to be so. on the two worst teams on paper before the season are going to be a lot better coached from a coordinator standpoint. You watched Arkansas. John Chavis just kept getting jobs because he had a good defense at Tennessee like 20 years ago. His defenses at LSU weren't good. His defenses at Arkansas were embarrassing. <laughs> and they bring in Barry Odom. So third who got Chavis might have been a real thing. He got, he got fired at, Mer- at Missouri, lands on his feet. And th- that defense, I know Georgia wasn't great, but they, they, they were much better defensively. And I think Vanderbilt's going to be both sides of the ball, the two new coordinators. So I'm not saying either one of those teams are right. going to – win three, four games, but they're better coached on both sides of the ball, I believe. Ken Seals, I think, is of note for Vanderbilt. As you mentioned, he's only the third true freshman to start as the first game of a season opener. Uh, Bo Nix, actually, last year was second one, and Brent Schaefer is I was going to say, could you say his name without doing that? It's physically impossible for you to say. Brent Schaefer. So, I think, listen, he's – you know, six, and the thing is, he looks the part. He's not like this. Yeah, his stats weren't great. I mean, his completion percentage, but he made some big third down throws, and his touchdown pass was as as yeah. it was an NFL throw. I mean, you could put it in one spot, and he got it there. So he again, if you're selling optimism, Aaron, to Vanderbilt fans, it is this is a guy that could be here for like 40 games. He makes me excited. I think even in addition to all the good things he did, one of the things that I thought was of note was how he reacted when he messed up. So he wasn't super down on himself. You know, he threw that interception. You look at him on the sidelines. He's not joking around like it doesn't matter, but he's very in the middle. He's like right back to the middle. Yeah, he didn't He didn't get super down on himself. He didn't get too high, too low. And people look to the quarterback to, to kind of, you know, dictate the energy of yeah. the whole team, not just the offense. So I think it's good that he was even keeled even after mistakes. One other note on Vanderbilt, which – you would never see this in the past. You know, Pro Football Focus has its grades out. They had the highest-rated defensive line from Week Four, Power Five only. Vanderbilt one, Georgia two, Oklahoma State three, Iowa State four. Actually, three of those wow. teams. You'd be surprised, but yeah, that was the difference to me defensively. They had a, they have an SEC-looking yeah. guys in the defensive line. Where in the past, Vanderbilt's defense has been good. It's been good cornerback play, good linebacker play. This year, it looks like the defensive line's a legitimate line. And and to the point you made about coordinators, you know, Barry Odom at Arkansas, a lot of a lot of you know experience, been around a long time. You've got sort of a high floor with him. Ted Roof has also been around forever and has a very high floor as well. I don't know what his upside is, but he's got a high floor, which means you know what you're getting out of him. And clearly, he's got some pieces in that front seven, particular defensive line, that are worth taking a look at um all right lsu at vandy arkansas at mississippi state anything any comments here on those games uh ole miss is host uh, ole miss um, travels to kentucky 
Loser's going to be zero and two. I know we've gone a long, long, uh, long ways here on this show, but there's. there's... I think that out of all those, the, the most pressure. Obviously, LSU doesn't want to lose to Vanderbilt. We don't expect that. I think Kentucky has the most pressure. I agree. To go zero and two. And again, I I didn't expect them to beat Auburn. I know some people did, but to to lose at home to Ole Miss would be not a good yep. look. And Ole Miss is obviously very good. Their offense is very good. So I think there's a little bit of pressure on, on the Wildcats. I'm going to be interested to watch, I mean, just to see what Mississippi State puts up against Arkansas. I yeah. know that it's it's like a 19-point like spread or something ridiculous. I would say that Mississippi State could even win by potentially three touchdowns. I do know Arkansas is getting some guys back on defense this week, or they're hoping to, which will be helpful. But there are – it's it's interesting to watch how many guys Mississippi State is putting into play and how many different guys they're using, especially receiving-wise, that were there last year but weren't utilized to the extent that they're being utilized this year. I think it'll be, even though it's probably going to be a blowout, I think it'll be telling if this is this Mississippi State hype is something that's going to last all year. I think that does it, guys. I didn't mention... I didn't mention Chad Morris. I'd like to throw him you out just there. Did. Uh, so Chad Morris versus Todd Munkin, I think is going to be interesting in the Auburn-Georgia game. I, I would lean Chad Morris in that equation also. So maybe there's there's a few things that have got me pushed towards Auburn. But last week I was wrong about Auburn. So we'll see. Georgia fans, take, okay. you're lucky. Are you done? Of, of like the whole show? Or just, well, just talking for now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what show did I tell you to watch? It's very good. Uh, Something about space. And, yeah. Away. Away? Yeah. It's a mission really creative, to Mars. Really creative. Do you know? Uh, I didn't name I don't it. watch television. So I'm a huge. I love Chef's Table. Love Chef's Table. They got a new one, Chef's Table Barbecue. Tootsie, the chef master at Snow's Barbecue in Texas. It's a great episode. I want you to know that, that this sounds like a different language now? to me. Yes, Mitch and I like Netflix a lot because we're old and we have families. And I Amazon Prime now too. Okay. I've, I've fired. That's the yeah. one thing in the uh, pandemic. I've been firing through a lot of shows. Good for you, man. I'm so proud of you. Are you? At Mitch Light. You can follow him there. Thank you for joining us. We do appreciate it. All the insight. You can get to him on The Athletic as well. Obviously, pay for good journalism. That's where all the, the great reporters are doing great work right now in the SEC. You can listen to him, of course, on Football and Grits as well. Is that everything? On Thursdays. On, on Thursdays, Thursdays, yes. Uh, is, that, is that all of it? Is there anything else you want me to talk yeah. about? It's, it's good. Thank you for hanging out. Thanks man. for having me. Thank you for Thanks, hanging Mitch. out. Thanks, Mitch. Coming up next on the show, Billy <laughs> Lucci from TexAgs.com going to join us. We're going to break down everything A&M, give you a PhD on Bama and the Aggies coming up this weekend. We'll be right back. But first, Billy, before we look at everything that's going on with Alabama and, and everything else, just sort of try to explain to people why Texas A&M struggled the way they did with Vanderbilt on Saturday night. Try to give us the elevator pitch on what you think didn't happen for Texas A&M. Well, I think, I think for starters, it was it, – had everything to do with the turnovers. I mean, first of all, with the style of playing and the way they're going to win games, if they if this if that wasn't the a good indication of what kind of team they're going to have, it's still the way they're going to win games is when they run the ball with some success. And, and I think this defense is going to be pretty good as the season uh, as the season goes on. I think it's going to be AM's best defense in three years under Fisher. So the style with which they're going to win games, if you're going to take that and turn the ball over three times and really a fourth when you when you get a stop get a punt make a mistake of fielding it in the end zone and get a block in the end zone and, and a safety 
you gave up five possessions in that football game and it played right into Vandy's hands. It allowed them to get extra possessions. Their whole, their whole game plan was to shorten the game and not fall behind and have to play catch up and let that AM pass rush get after their true freshman quarterback. Everything played perfectly into Vandy's hands and AM played perfectly into their hands with the, with the turnovers. And I would go so far as to say one of those felt like a, a forced, I know they stripped the ball out one, but there's no excuse for losing the fumbles that they lost with the exception of the, of the sack where Kellum was kind of stripped of the ball from the blind side. That was it. And so A&M just played sloppy. They gave chances to Vandy that they didn't need to do. And, and they, you know, even something as simple as a, a pass play that got them down to the one yard line first and goal. And, and it's called back on a hold in the very next play, you give up that sack fumble. Same thing in, in the fourth quarter when Anaya Smith gets open for, back-to-back touchdowns on a wheel route same really almost the same play back-to-back and Kellen misses both throws so in a perfect world that one would have looked more like Georgia and Arkansas where the Aggies <laughs> just pulled away and it wasn't pretty but they never they never made the play to pull away in fact they did the exact opposite I mean it, the turnovers also Braden you know when you're a team that wants to run the ball they ran for 300 something yards last year against South Carolina they beat Mississippi State by three touchdowns by pulling away. They did it in the fourth quarter at Ole Miss. It's kind of what they do again when they're playing teams that they can do it against, uh, which doesn't include the Georgias and Bamas of the world right now. But in the games where they can over the last two years, that's what they've done. And you don't give yourself a chance to do that when you're giving the ball away. I mean, you just there's no opportunity to wear down a physically – inferior opponent when you just don't have the ball enough so I mean I'm not justifying it and it was a it was a negative outing you know in almost every in almost every aspect I mean you can pick some stats they ran for almost 200 yards on 55 snaps Isaiah Spiller and Anaya Smith looked really good the defense was was nails in the second half but that's about it, 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 it and normally Braden you would be looking at this going, they have Abilene Christian, right. Colorado, Arkansas, and North Texas in September. <laughs> you could figure a lot of crap out. That's you, why everybody was so excited about that schedule. Uh-uh. Bama, <laughs> Florida, in my opinion, the two, two playoff teams probably, when I see what LSU and Georgia look like this weekend. And then, oh, by the way, Mike Leach, KJ Costello, Mississippi State. Yeah, there, there is – zero margin for error in the sec this year because it got everybody else's league it felt like it might have gotten easier it feels like it got way way tougher in the sec so uh, this is sort of like a three-part question so that's a i know that's a lot of parts for a question okay um number one and maybe this is just a statement i'm assuming you're tired of being asked about kellen mond and trying to explain (laughs) kellen mond i I am the question i would ask is what is the relationship of the fans with Kellen Mond and the the real question from a football nerd side of things because one I want sort of the pulse of what's going on in College Station with him and number two I want to know in your opinion there's a million factors that go into a player's development take the pandemic out of it because that affects everybody sort of equally but you know surrounding cast scheme personal skill set whatever it what is it in your opinion that has been the the main driving factors in in his development or maybe lack of development well, I think as far as the fans on, on Kellen, it's just like any any place when, when the quarterback's struggling and, and the young guys the young guys are sounding really 
you know, appealing just to find and say, Hey, let's see w- what they can do. I think where the fans are, uh, you know, as far as football goes, where the fans are just kind of beside themselves, it's the turnovers. I mean, it, and it, it's, it's really, if you really boil it down, he doesn't throw an unusual amount of interceptions. I mean, if you look at his career, I mean, it, it's, it's not like he's real careful with the, and some would say he's too careful with it, to be honest with you. He doesn't really cut loose and holds on to it too long. And, but it's the fumbles. If you go back, I think he's put it on the ground 20 times as a quarterback, and, and 10 of those have been lost. And a lot of them, you know, late in the game against Kentucky, run back for a touchdown. On the goal line two years ago against Ole Miss, run back 100 yards. Second half, hanging around in that Clemson game, early third or late second quarter, fumble, allows them to score right before the half. And it's things like the other night, a, a 10 to 12 yard gain on a beautiful first down option keeper reads it creases the defense and then just right before he goes down bad ball security so I think that's one of the the primary things and I think the other things that people are, are kind of holding against him I think a lot of it has to do with, with going into the other part of your question the it has to do with the the surrounding cast too I think Kellen Kellen has to play better as a senior and a third year in this system. And, and I'm going to tell you, Braden, and, and Aggie fans have gotten frustrated with me for saying it, and I don't care. I mean, you can love me. You can be frustrated. I don't care. I'm just going to tell you what is really happening, and everybody wants to hear what's happening. If you don't tell them what's happening in fall camp, then you're not doing – not giving them the job, you know, what they're, what they're wanting to hear, you know, in terms of we want to know what's happening. Well, guess what happened? Kellen had his best fall camp of his career. Kellen was light years better than he was prior to last season and prior to his sophomore season in this offense, in Jimbo Fisher's eyes, in Daryl Dickey's eyes, in every coach on that staff's eyes, in every teammate of his eyes. Kellen had his best fall camp, and it wasn't close. So it's not apples to apples when you're saying, how does that translate onto the field? And I kept saying that. It's got to translate. Right. I said, we're not going to know much with Vandy. We're going to know a lot right after that. But it is apples to apples if you say, this is what he looked like in this fall camp, in this fall camp, in this fall camp. I mean, that is just tangible straight up. He had a much better camp than he's ever had. It did not translate on Saturday. And that is a big time concern. And I'm sitting here going, you and I probably watched you know, more college football these last three weeks than we ever, especially with A&M playing at night. I've gotten to watch, you know, three Saturdays worth of football. I watch guys making circus catches game after game after game. I watch quarterbacks with all kinds of time to throw. And last year he had almost none of that, almost none of that. On Saturday, I thought the O-line was a little better. That was probably a product of Vandy. But A, he's not been accurate throwing the ball down the field. That's That to me, outside of the fumbles, which I feel like even still are preventable, it's the accuracy down the field. Vandy was sitting there, Braden, with 10 guys within eight yards of the line of scrimmage, and I don't blame them. I dare you with these receivers that have never played, I dare you to complete passes down the field because we're scared of you as a runner, yeah. we're scared of your tight end, and we're scared of your two running backs, and that's it. So until he starts connecting down the field and until those receivers that we know very little about start showing they can make a, a tough contested catch. This is going to be a long year, not just for number 11, but for the offense. But on the flip side of that, he was doing those things. Those receivers were doing those things. 
Demon Demas, five-star receiver who we didn't see any of Saturday night, is going to make plays in this offense this year. So there's an opportunity. I just don't know how much you're going to see it this weekend against the freaking Crimson Tide <laughs> in Bryant-Denny. Yeah. But I, I, you almost want to fast forward and say, <laughs> I want to see these guys. I do. I want to see them against Florida. Okay. Florida's defense gave up a lot of chunk plays down the middle of the field on Saturday. Yeah. And you're going to have to, to keep up with Trask. And I, I, A&M's defense is going to be way better than Ole Miss's. But you're going to have to score, let's just say, being conservative, and you're going to have to score in the 30s. If you're going to beat Florida, it's going to be like a 35-31 kind of game. And you, you, so you better be connecting on some deep shots because they're going to dare you to run. Todd Grantham's going to say, you're not running the ball on us. 11 and these receivers. And yeah. if Ole Miss can do it in game one under Kiffin and you can't do it with your senior quarterback in year three, then, you know, you got a problem. So they, I think they've got – two weeks to really get it right. You'd love to see it happen this week. But again, I think you have to be grounded in reality. Things I never thought, well, I guess I, I thought they would happen because I'm a huge Dan Mullen believer. I just think his scheme is, is exceptional. But just listen to the analysis mm -hmm. we just gave. Like, you're going to have to score 30 to beat Florida. Like, that hasn't been a thing for like a decade. In, yeah, it's in, been a while. Until, until Dan Mullen showed up. And now you got to score 30 to beat Florida, which is, which is crazy. Can you explain? With Kyle Trask. Yeah, exactly. Can you explain to everybody what playing Alabama does to the people of, of College Station in Texas? I, I've lived in Texas. I grew up there a little bit. Try to explain to people what, what Alabama Week means. It's actually been a pretty big game over the years. I don't know about this year. You know, coming off that, I don't even know what they could have done against Vandy to make people really excited about this one. It's just such a weird year, right? And, and yeah. I mean, I don't know what could have happened but normally this this game a the game's been more competitive than and you'd think Alabama's pulled away a lot is what's happened but the game's always been big even last year at Kyle Field and A&M went down the field and scored first I think they were down by maybe 10 13 at the half kind of hanging around big interception early in the third quarter I go back a couple of years ago I remember a Miles Garrett block punt and A&M cut it to a score late you know the 12th man blocks a punt one year A&M led at halftime in 2016 with Trevor Knight going down there and then Jonathan Allen and that that defense produced yet another touchdown and I mean there's been some good games obviously the two with Johnny Manziel were classics you know 49-42 and the Aggies jump out 14 nothing. that was the biggest home game I think in A&M history the atmosphere, the environment, what was at stake. The year before, obviously, 2012, that was AM's biggest win in history. You've got a lot of ties with Bear Bryant and, and uh, Gene Stallings. So many ties between the programs. So, you know, Nick Saban now, and Jimbo yeah, Fisher. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It is. It's a nice – I wouldn't call it a rivalry because Bama's been so damn good. But, look, A&M's beaten Alabama – since they've joined the SEC the same number of times LSU has won. <laughs> I mean, so it's unfortunate that, that there can't be more uh, wins in there to make things interesting. I'll tell you what's interesting to me about this one. We talked about Kellen. I think he had like four design runs against Vandy. And of course, when you fumble it and put it on the ground a couple of times, you can't give up on Mon the runner. And I know I'm venturing back here, but I'm tying it into Bama. He's topped 100 yards gained each of the last two years against the Tide. He's run for 100 before you take out sacks. And even without sacks, he's gained 98 and 90. I mean, even counting sacks, 98 and 90 the last two years on the ground. They've got to run him. With Anias and Spiller 
looking like they do, and that O-line still not being great by any stretch, that creates those angles and those seams and creases, and it, it, it taxes Bama horizontally, you know, sideline to sideline. And again, if teams are going to creep up in the box and dare you, if you're going to have success running, it's you've got to be able to use the whole the whole 50 plus yards, three yards or whatever, to be able to do that. And Kellen is the reason they can do that if they can. I, I think that's everybody talks about scoring on Bama, but it's almost flipped in the last few years. You're going to have to stop Bama to be in the game. All these games they're losing are are turning into shootouts now. Yeah, and and I I'm curious because I'm with you. I think. Even going into Saturday night, I thought A&M had better pieces on defense than sort of the national media writ large was giving them credit for, even though they were a top 10 team. Mm-hmm. 3.8 yards per play against Vanderbilt on 67 snaps. I know it's Vanderbilt. I know it's a true freshman. I get all of mm-hmm. that. But I do think that now when you face Alabama, it's not, oh my God, how are we going to move the football on that front seven? That's not the first thing you think about anymore with Alabama. The first thing you think about is the best running game in America, the best offensive line in America, the two most uncoverable receivers maybe in America as a tandem. And, and I think Mac Jones is way more than just a, a game manager. So for sure, it, it does the defense have the, the, the personnel and, and the ability to keep them in the game so that if Kellen Mond does have a Clemson-like performance, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden we're looking at a, a close game in the fourth quarter? I worry about that. You started a true freshman at corner. He got beat for a touchdown. That was actually – that was like – it's pretty good throw, best. actually. Yeah, that was a terrific throw. It was really good coverage. I mean, he couldn't get that arm extended enough to break it. I thought it was his best throw of the night. So Jalen Jones is a five-star talent. He he'd actually he'd be a guy that I bet by year two would start at Alabama. I mean, he's that good. I think McKinley Jackson's that good. He looked really good as a true freshman. In fact, I thought he went in there and and you got McKinley, you got Bobby Brown, Jaden Peavy as a senior is going to play in the NFL. Uh, Demarvin Leal, I believe Demarvin Leal would be starting on Alabama today as a sophomore. He's that good. And again, every guy I just mentioned could have gone to Alabama. I mean, they beat Bama for Bobby on signing day, for DeMarvin in a heads up, and for McKinley on signing day last year. I mean, there are guys up front, Michael Clemens, another one that had a great camp and then came out, had a sack and a half uh, Saturday night. So A&M up front, they're pretty salty on the D-line. And I think they'll be one of the better defensive lines. And as the season goes on, they've got two really talented pass rushers that are true freshmen. So they're not quite ready. And I don't think they'll be quite ready for this weekend, unfortunately. But that would give them that edge presence that I think maybe lacks a little bit right now. Tyree Johnson's all right uh, as a veteran, but they don't have just third and long. Let's put this guy on the edge. And he's, you know, they don't have like Bama did a Tim Williams. Or LSU last year, Kalevin Chase on, you know, they don't have that yet. I think they have it in Donnell Harris and maybe even Fadil Diggs, but they've literally been here, you know, for a month. So I'll tell you what, Braden, it's going to depend on one thing. You mentioned that O-line and that running game. The Aggies under Mike Elko have been really, really stinking good against the run. Two years ago, finished like third in, that, third in the country or fourth in the country against the run. Uh, last year, rebuild and still were really good against the run. I worry a little bit about linebacker. Buddy Johnson had a great game, I thought, the other night. But I saw some – you know, Vandy didn't carve him up. I think they had one 20-yard run, and that was about – that was probably the only thing more than 10 yards. But I just saw some loose fits and things that scare you against Bama. I, you know, I think A&M can hang in there. 
if they can win up front and win the line of scrimmage, I know that sounds like a tall order. Nobody might do that against Bama this year. But if anybody does, it's a pretty short list of teams that can do it. And I think the Aggies would be on that list. Then you at least have a chance. Like you said, though, Kellen has to play. Yeah lights out you're talking about what can they do to win a game where both teams are in the you know low 30s upper 20s low 30s i mean the yeah it's hard enough to stop waddle and smith and mac jones and those guys but a&m scoring up there they just scored two touchdowns against vandy and i understand they should have <laughs> scored more i get it i mean i, I rewatch that game and you're like you could watch that game and go they, they could have easily had at least 31 38 points in that thing and they just kept just continuously shooting themselves in the foot, but yeah. it still wasn't going to be an explosive 30 plus. It was going to be a grind you down and go, okay, we can run the ball on you guys kind of at will. So we're going to go about it that way. And then we're going to be up by two scores and your freshman quarterback's going to have to drop back and throw it. You guys are going to have to get deeper into their route. So we're going to get sacks, you know, like that was the way that game could have gone, but it still wasn't going to be explosive offense, light up the scoreboard against Bama type stuff. All right, last one. I'll let you go. I always appreciate your time, uh, of course. Oh, yeah. so, Billy Lucci from texags.com. Uh, Check out the website. I think I've just added like a loss to everybody in, in America in college football mm -hmm. because of the pandemic and how this has all played out. I just think it's especially in the SEC where I think eight and two could be your you know, I don't think Bama goes undefeated. Uh, and I think they're the, maybe the best team in America. So yeah, I just, I, agree. I, just, I just think it's going to be brutal, man. It's just going to be absolute warfare. Do the fans take that into account at the end of the year? And A&M is seven and three, and they've actually had a, like seven and three might be a game away from winning a division. Like that's how tough yeah. seven and three is going to be this year. What's the fan reaction if Jimbo Fisher and A&M, you know, again, I think seven and three is a damn good year. It may not be oh, gosh. by college station. How do the fans react if they're seven and three at the end of this thing? I think the fans would be pretty happy, especially after Saturday night, because I think a lot of fans are looking at this team and saying they might be one in three after four games. Uh, Mississippi State looked tremendous, and they might be way too much for A&M because A&M, again, even a great defensive effort, they might not be able to keep up with that offense, which is, which is it brings you to a thing of like, hey, why can Mike Leach go in there and do that year one and A&M can't do it in, in year three? But – I also would say this that looks really familiar to A&M and, and you remember this fondly because you I think you still owe me a steak dinner um, but you paid up Olin and them I, I but oh you're right you're right I owe we you haven't dinner. had the chance I owe you dinner yep but true. I'm kidding I'm kidding but I did pay up my, my treat to all the other people though so it's my treat Brayden there's <laughs> enough times got my 2014 Six years ago, we, we made a bet on AM South Carolina, and you didn't think, like a lot of people, there's any way Aggies were going to go in there and win because they'd lost Johnny Menzel. Yeah, and, and South Carolina was a top 10 team with Steve Spurrier, and South Carolina ended up being terrible. And AM, after one game, Kenny Hill was Kenny Trill, and they yeah, had kind of. TCU's quarterback was good that night. Yeah. yeah, they had booked him a spot. <laughs> TCU's now assistant coach was good that night. Yeah, they true. had him a spot in New York at the Heisman, you know, for the as a Heisman finalist. South Carolina ended up like whatever they were, four and eight, five and seven. Steve Spurrier quit midseason, and and a and <laughs> yeah, and and A and M finished like seven and five, and they got exposed. Guess where? In Starkville, 
by Dak Prescott and Mississippi State, and they lost to Mississippi State, who ended up being number one, Ole Miss, and in between was a 59 nothing loss in Tuscaloosa. That was a very average, mediocre SEC team there at A&M that year. I'm not saying LSU is terrible. LSU could very easily be at six and four this year when you look at their schedule. Hell, they could be at five and five if A&M or Auburn are, are, end up being good. Is Mississippi State unstoppable, or is Bo Pelini really, really stubborn to stay in man coverage as much as he did the other day? I, I was blow. They were chasing with corners the entire game, and I'm going, what are you doing? Like, I, I could not believe it. I'm glad somebody else that I respect said that because I just – I was staring at this going, dude, you got to give these guys a break. Now we're off the topic, but I'm with you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So, but – for if they got to seven and three this year on that schedule, that's going to include some pretty big wins. And now winning at Mississippi State this early, at least, no matter what happens, they're, they're going to beat Arkansas this weekend. So at worst, it's a two and one Mississippi State team. And it's probably it might very well be a three and oh Mississippi State team right, creeping six, on the top 10. Six and four, then. How do the fans feel? Okay, that's a better question. I think there'll be some people just kind of like, what are we doing? Like, not, not like, What's the point of the hey, 75 this season, million? Yeah, but I, but I also think it, a lot of people, just like you said, a lot of people are just going to kind of shrug off and throw off this year. And I think it'll be interesting if they got to six and four, how they'd go about doing it. You know, does would Kellen be the, the guy through the whole year or would they reach a point where it's kind of what are they playing for? And, and only if he's struggling. I don't think you ever set a precedent where if a guy's – doing all right you start looking to the future I don't think you do that he's done too much in this all you know as a senior quarterback and with a chance to go to the next level which most pro scouts say he does I mean but if something worked out and and or something happened and Haynes King or somebody or Zach Calzada then it maybe looks a little different but I, I think either way six and four it's kind of like uh, at least we played football that's not good <laughs> that's not good enough and I think you start going, okay, the Mond era in this offense is over with. The defense is getting better and better, which I think is what you will say at the end of the year. And then it'll be, yeah. let, let's see where this goes. I really think, Braden, it's just kind of one of those years where people are going to kind of shrug off and just go, Ugh. I mean, I don't know. It, I, dude, I think the – I think It the, sucks, glad, man. I, I think you're absolutely right. The – man, at least we got to play football attitude. I think if more fans approached – their team's games this year like that I think we'll be a happier country I'm not even kidding I do I do too it it, uh, it, it has I can already tell just it's made it's put people in a better mood and I'd have I'd much rather than be arguing about the AM offense on, on my message boards than, <laughs> than politics and and social unrest and stuff no shit, it's man. been it's been refreshing right I mean no and shit. listen it's terrible and there's way bigger things at play here but I also think it A&M got dealt if you're just talking football, they got dealt a pretty brutal hand. I mean, it was – and by the way, the social stuff is why you've, you've lost some players to opt-outs and things like that. Like, between opt-outs and injuries, they've lost a lot of seniors off this football team. And, I mean, outside of Jamon Osmond, I don't believe anything that dramatically impacts them, but I think the collective does. You know, you were going to have two badass tight ends in Watermeyer and Cup, and then Cup's out for the year. Well, guess what? Cup's backup was playing as good as Cup during fall camp, a true freshman out of Southlake. He got hurt ACL the exact same day that Cup did. So those things, Cam Buckley was a senior receiver that had a 500-yard year a couple of years ago. He's out. But then you look at the schedule, and I mentioned it. 
you start off and it was such a, a, a coasting kind of build up your first two conference games were against Arkansas and Mississippi State before we <laughs> before we saw what we saw Saturday. It really laid out. You played Auburn in game, I think, seven, Bama in game 11, and LSU in game 12. I mean, it really laid out there. And then all of a sudden, you look up one day, and there's no non-conference. There's no quote-unquote preseason to figure out who your receivers are, to let Demas get into the flow. There's, and all of a sudden, you go, oh, yeah, by the way, you're going to play Florida, and then you're going to go on the road to Tennessee. <laughs> A&M, I mean, they got a – 2020, baby. Yeah, Jimbo's got to be sitting there going – Damn, man. I went through hell last year playing that schedule yeah. and only to be greeted by more hell. <sighs> well, I, I, I think you got the right attitude. At least we're playing ball, and that's what right. matters. Man, uh, glad to hear everybody's doing well down there. You guys are still still kicking ass down there at Texag. So, everybody, check out the website, of course. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter, at Billy Lucci, uh, godfather of Texas A&M football. My man, thank you so much for giving us some time. We do appreciate it. Enjoy the game uh, against Bama, man. It, it should be, yeah. again, I'm, I'm just excited to see, see ball, really. It's going to be fun to watch. I just want to see a really improved A&M team. And, hey, best of luck with the podcast. I look forward to uh, – to join you again and hopefully have um, A&M be an interesting team to follow as, as the year goes on. And about 16 ounces of marbled ribeye heavier. That's, that's about how it's going to go. Unless you're more of a filet guy. I'm a filet guy. So I, I've, I think I've had to shift to filet. I'll tell you <laughs> a funny story before we go. I, and you guys can make fun of me on a name drop here, but it's just funny when it goes into the story. But that same season after that Ole Miss loss, um, J.J. Watt came down to the game with an old roommate of mine, Shane Leckler. They were teammates with the Texans, so they stayed here for the weekend at the house. And he said, hey, come down to Houston. Let's go to dinner. You know, you let me crash at your house all weekend. So the three of us went down there the following week, went to a steakhouse in, in Houston called Killin' Steakhouse. It's J.J.'s favorite. It's right by where he, where he lived. And uh, we go down. It's an amazing place, steakhouse. And if you're down there in Houston, I highly recommend Killin's Barbecue. You've got to go there. But we go to the steakhouse. He's like, have you ever been here? I said, no. He goes, okay, you mind if I just let me order for you? So we go like a 28-ounce Wagyu ribeye oh, okay. was, was my entree. And then all the sides and the scallops and the mashed potatoes and the mac and cheese. And this ribeye tasted like just butter. You know, it was just, it was just marbled fat butter. Meat, but like Meat butter, yeah. Meat butter. Incredible. I don't think I went to the bathroom for like a week after that, Braden. And ever since then, I'm like, I've had a real problem with really fatty yeah, yeah. cuts it's called, of meat. It's called getting older, Billy. That's what it's yeah, called. and I say, so ever since then, since that night, I've been a filet guy myself. So you can get me, you can get me a filet. Don't worry about me with any kind of uh, ribeye these days based yeah, on that night. I gave them up. I'm doing a lot of scalps myself. They just don't hurt as much in the morning. That's, that's for sure. Uh, Billy, thanks, dude. I appreciate it, man. All right, buddy. Love you. Special thanks to Billy Lucci from TexAgs.com, of course, the godfather of all things Texas A&M football. And, of course, special thanks to Mitch Light, my former boss and mentor at Athlon Sports, now at The Athletic. You can follow him at Mitch Light. Aaron, how you feel? Week two of the SEC, week five in college football, second episode. How you feeling? I feel good. I feel excited. Um, it was great having Mitch here. I'd back up on talking trash to you. You didn't really rip on me a whole lot. I didn't. Week. I know. I'll make up for it next week. 
Okay, that's super exciting for me to look forward to <laughs> and for you out there listening to look forward to as well. Where can the people find you, Aaron Dugan? Um, the Aaron Dugan on Twitter, and I'm Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. At 440 Sports, of course, is the network here in Nashville. And please rate, review, and subscribe to we the know. show. We heard. Right, but... But we need you to now, especially, yeah. and tell them why. Because if you review, if we get, what, how many reviews? If we get 50, 50 reviews. 50 reviews on the show. It's not super easy. We will, I will, it sounds like. You will. You have volunteered me to do a drunken recap podcast on Saturday nights. Maybe just one Saturday night after an SEC Saturday. Just one. We're not changing the bet oh. slash agreement right here. If you go back and listen to earlier in the show, you'll hear that I just said, a podcast i didn't so <laughs> <laughs> but the faster we get these reviews then the yep. quicker Braden has to get trashed on saturdays and i will break it down over brunch and i will figure out how Cheers. to explain it to my wife um all right <laughs> thanks everybody for listening and listening to this very long preview and recap podcast we do appreciate it please actually rate and review the show again 50 of them and i'll do a drunken recap on saturday nights aaron dugan Braden gall thanks for listening this has been the fringe element on 440 sports that's the name 